0: Tonight on Fallon, from NBC's World of Dance, Jennifer Lopez with a dance break. okay. Uh, Plus fun with pets and their owners. She's a really good boy. All new SNL with host Bill Hader and musical guest Arcade Fire. tonight on NBC. Find the naive child in this picture. Nope. No. Bang, there he is. What the hell is that? An alpaca. I got the last one. Modern Family, find it. Find the trophy wife in this picture. Nope. No! There he is! How cool would it be if he turned into Wonder Woman right now? Can't even talk about it. Modern Family, find it.
1: Steve Mackle is one of the most recognizable voiceover artists today. But in addition to that, he's also a writer of both songs and screenplays. A comedian, a director, and producer. Today, Steve discusses his body of work, his creative process, and how he landed the career of a lifetime. I'm Chris Alford. This is The Art of Life. Stay tuned. Welcome to The Art of Life. I'm Chris Alford, your host, Our show focuses on the lives of highly creative individuals who've redefined the meaning of success for themselves by living out their passions. Today marks our first episode, and my guest is Steve Mackle. Steve, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, Chris, man, thanks for having me.
1: I'm so glad you're here.
0: Oh, dude, I'm honored to be here. Thanks, man.
1: Tell me a little bit about your background and what led you up to this point.
0: Oh, man, Uh, that's a a good question. I grew up in Cleveland, just uh, son of a bricklayer. That was my dad's gig, my mom was a homemaker. And what I realized was you know we had pretty humble origins, so we didn't have a lot of money to go out and do things. So my friends and I, who were all we were all in a similar boat, we uh, we would spend a lot of time just making stuff up. like and in Cleveland too, it's like you're in your house from like the middle of October to the end of April because it's freezing and snowy. And we spent a lot of time like in each other's basements like putting on shows, wearing stupid hats and coats and just uh, doing bits and having fun. And I also remember being a kid, um, whenever I got a little writing assignment in in English class in grade school, writing a story, I would become hypnotized in it. Like I would get lost in it. And I loved being there. And then I remember coming out and time had passed and I would be back in the regular world, but I just loved where I was. So that was really exciting. And I still feel that way when I drop into write, like I go there.
1: And for you, there's just so many hats you wear, producer, writer, director. How do you integrate all those skill sets? Did this happen organically?
0: Okay, well, that's that's a great question. And I'll tell you how that worked. I was a writer who got into voiceover. What happened was um, when I was a young guy, just graduated college, my degree was in radio and TV production and English. I was trying to find a job after school, and the only job I could find really was a salesman so I was a salesman for a guy who wrote jingles and commercials because I knew about his work and he was really, really good. And I said, how about, I go, I went over there and I said, I want to be a writer for you. And he said, well, um, everything we need written, my partner and I write. He goes, but we need a salesman. And I said, well, I can do that. you know." And I didn't know if I could do it, but I figured I could, I could try. So um, and I knew I wanted to work for him because he was doing what I wanted to do, which is, I think, is a good thing to do when you're a young person. I often tell young artists, Try to work for someone who's doing what you want to do. And that's how you learn, and they know you, and they bring you up if they like you and you're cool. So I said, how about everything I sell I can write? And he said, how about everything you sell you can help me write? And I, God bless him. And I did. So um, I just became, um, through through sales, I started to write stuff that I sold with this guy. And then um, I had, uh, at the same time, I was doing stand-up comedy at night. This was all in Washington, D.C. in 1984 or five. And I started to do stand-up comedy at night. So I had a nice gig. I was selling these radio jingles and commercials during the day. And then I would do stand-up comedy in D.C. and Baltimore and stuff at night. Um, And then I I won a stand-up comedy contest. And the first prize was to go to Los Angeles to attend uh, the first comic relief concert. I remember those. I remember those. Yeah, those were cool, right? Robin Williams. Robin, Billy. Billy. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, man. It was like a real honor. So I went there. I went to California. And I realized, well, this is really where I want to be. So I went back to D.C., and after two years of working with this great guy, Art Aarons at Words & Company, um, I said, you know, I'm moving out to California, and he was very supportive. And so I went out to California, and I couldn't get a job right away as an ad writer because I had a a humble portfolio, so I got a job as a salesman again and started doing stand-up again at night. And then I ended up um, working for the great Chuck Bloor in uh, Los Angeles, who's a famous, famous old radio producer, and... um, Chuck was great. He hired me as a freelance writer. He gave me a shot, and we became fast friends, and I learned a lot lot from Chuck as a writer. And then Chuck used to say to me, Mackerel, you're going to be the young father on this commercial. And I'd go, I, I don't know how to do that. He'd go, And he would just throw me behind the microphone. Uh, and so Chuck's direction was interesting because I would be reading the copy, and Chuck's direction would be this. I don't believe you. Whoa, man. And I used to go, oh, well, I just better do me then because... that I know I could do, right? So I started to do that, and then that led into my voiceover career. So I started as a writer, who then ended up doing a voiceover. All right, tonight on NBC, we've got an all new How We Do It, new Friday Night Lights, plus a new Dateline. Be honest with me, does this font go with these pants? Try a Helvetica.
1: After a short break, Steve talks about the imperfections that launched his career in voiceover. Stay tuned. There is a Los Angeles Times article Uh, They wrote this about you. Every night on NBC, you can hear the voice of Steve Mackle promoting The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon and Saturday Night Live. It's the same voice that created a revolutionary new sound that changed the attitude and tone of promo announcers throughout the nation. Today, the voice of God announced, literally, an industry standard since the advent of television has more often been replaced by the guy next door, the audio blogger that makes you feel like you're hanging with a good friend.
0: Again, going back to Chuck Bloor, this famous Los Angeles-based radio producer, uh, really decorated guy. Um, Chuck wanted it super real. He, and he didn't want to... And I, and when I got behind the microphone, I was nervous and I had never done it. So I was trying to articulate perfectly and be this voiceover guy. And when he said, I don't believe you, I guess what I, what I did was then I just said, well, I'll just do me, like I said. And that, I guess, became a style. And... Um, this was and this goes under the heading of how all things are connected, right? Um, after having written and worked with Chuck for two years, he would host this annual Christmas party, and since I was there as a freelance writer and a young fledgling voiceover guy, I would co-host it with him, and we would entertain agents and other talent and producers from all over the city, and and we had these we'd have this great Christmas party, and at one of these parties, I was uh, telling a story or being crazy in a in a room with people, and. And after after the crowd kind of broke up, this one woman says to me, do you do voiceovers? And I said, some. And she goes, how'd you like to do a lot? And that was my first agent, cool. Kathy Kalmanson. And I think what she said was, this is when the height of Bruce Willis's career was coming on back in the day, early 90s. And also he was coming off that TV series Moonlighting. And Bruce is like super real New Jersey guy, just telling stories, little smirk, but you liked him. And he was the guy next door, but who just had a little bit of an edge and you know, and so she saw that in me. And so she encouraged me as Chuck Bloor had laid the foundation to let my imperfections loose. Don't worry about articulating too much. Just be a storyteller, come from your heart and so if, I had any, if I've had any success in voiceover, I think it's because I don't articulate. No, it's because I've just been able to tell a story and try to keep it real. Hand your kid a Nestle drumstick. And they're not growing up too fast. They're not living in a more complicated world. There's the kid eating a drumstick. Drumstick, the original Sunday comb, only from Nestle. I remember when I won the NBC late night job. This is kind of funny. Um, I was, I was, you know, o- honored to win it. I was like, wow, it's very competitive and a prestigious job. I was stoked. And I went in to thank the one of the people in management who was instrumental in me getting hired. And I said, yeah, I just wanted to thank you so much. He goes, oh no, man, because we loved your audition. It was, it was great. He goes, I loved how sometimes you didn't even finish the word. <laughs> which I love. Like, yeah, you would just drop the NG off of trying and just trying, you know? And I went, wow, okay, cool, I can do that. Give me more of that. <laughs> yeah, right, give me more of that sloppy crap. We, dig it. we
1: talked a little bit about uh, this before your interview. Um, we want to talk about how you balance all the skill sets because, you know, as you said, one sort of uh, evolved into the other. How does that work for you? What's the creative process?
0: Um, mostly, I think it's necessity. Like um, a lot of times when I was first starting out, I couldn't afford a good guitar player. So I would just hack it out. Or um, if it taps right into my skill set, like for example, we'll be doing a sizzle reel for a show we're trying to sell, or um, we wanted to accompany a screenplay that we have. We want to do a little three and a half minute teaser. If I'm the guy to do the voiceover for it, I do it. And if I'm not, we bring somebody else in. So uh, it's necessity and, and strength. Like sometimes I go, well, I'm that guy. Um, For example, during the Blanket Show, my animated pilot that we did with MTM, um, I I thought I could do maybe one one or two of the characters, and I did one of the characters, and I had a nice sound for it. It worked. It was funny. It was cute. It was good. But then we needed some incidental kind of background voices, and it was much cheaper for me to do three or four voices slightly different than it would be to bring in other talent. Because you know you can hire a talent, and if they do the second voice, it's a certain price, and the third voice it drops. So it was just an economical thing. So sometimes it's necessity, sometimes it's a skill set, and sometimes it's you know flat out economy. hey ain't no blues Hound! Well, that, Charlie. Okay, man, Chaz, we're down with that, but we want our money up front, girly girl, and a limo slash zine limousine. I admit it, I am a genius. Well. <laughs> That's more like it, pal. Hey, Santa Claus, baby. What about the Smoky Boy?
1: As far as your writing, so your credits include uh, Stealing Cars. Stealing Cars, yeah. Which got picked up by Sony 2016.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sony saw us at the, um, we got into the LA Film Festival, which was a really, really nice honor. And then we were blown away. They had just um, created a new award in 2015 when we, when they, we got into the festival and it was called the zeitgeist award and it was given to the film that captures the most accurately captures the spirit of the day the times um which was very interesting because we had originally written that script in 2001 Hmm. yeah that was one of those projects that took a long time we just worked on it and you know we we'd fall out of development we'd be attached to a director a star they'd fall away so one of the goes under the heading of perseverance you just got to Got to stay on it.
1: Every overnight success is usually about 10 years yeah. or more. <laughs>
0: right. Dude. I'm an overwrought success. That <laughs> yeah, takes a long time sometimes. But um, uh, Sony saw us. Uh, they did a second screening um, at the LA Film Festival that year because we had won the Zeitgeist Award. And Sony liked what they saw and, and picked it up. And God bless them. You know, they're distributing it now.
1: Now, was that project the first time you had seen one of your screenplays brought to life on, on the screen?
0: No, second time. And this is a, a complete opposite experience of Stealing Cars. Uh, my, my friend that I wrote Stealing Cars with uh, and two other screenplays, we wrote this mob comedy, Avenging Angelo, that was funny and had some heart. And like I said, the opposite of Stealing Cars in that my friend Will Aldis and I wrote Avenging Angelo in the summer of 2000. And that movie was in production in Toronto and Sicily in the summer two thousand one. Wow, that was fast tracked, and so that was my first one. And so I went, "Wow, this is how it works." Yeah, the other one took twelve years.
1: (laughs) Well, you obviously got the bug from the first one. Yeah. So, in terms of the process from script to screen. I hear creative people say, You know sometimes they lose things that they they envisioned while writing the screenplay. Did you feel like it was uh, the final product was congruent according to your screenplay?
0: on Avenging Angelo? Yeah, no, less so. Um uh, I wasn't involved on any like uh, producerial level on that one. So as a writer, you know you, I'm not gonna say you lose your vote, but unless you have a special relationship with the director or the producer and you're in the mix throughout the process, you don't really get a vote. It's a collaborative art form, which I'm really grateful about. Mm. Um, I see actors and directors and producers add stuff to things I've done, which are so much cooler than what I had in mind. And I'm like, wow, I'm so glad that guy improvised that line. It's much funnier than what I wrote. So it's great. Um, Avenging Angelo, no, it it did not come out the way that I thought it was on the page. And that's okay. Like I said, it's a collaborative art form. But um, that's you talk about the many hats. That's one of the reasons I dig being so involved though in my projects from the germ of the idea to delivering the final show or film or TV show or song, all the way. I love taking it all the way. It's just, it's fun. This place is for fun. You come here for fun. You have fun. This place is for fun. Whoa, whoa, These aren't really my pants. I was framed. I'm more of a corduroy boy myself. (laughs) You like sourdough? Have you ever had the sourdough, Jack? Personally, I dig the bacon. But there's also melting cheese smothering a big juicy patty. Did I mention the golden sourdough? I think I did. Hey, we better hurry. For a limited time, it's only buck ninety-nine. You want to get one? We should get one. Let's get one, you and me. I don't have $1. ninety-nine. There is no check in the box on the island. Can't you talk about something else? How you doing with the ladies?
1: It seems like you really enjoy your work. Uh, upon meeting you, you get the sense that you just... You love what you do. And I think yeah. I'm under the impression that you would do these things whether you were paid for them or not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> dude, dude, that's totally the truth. I would, people would say, How do you make a living in Hollywood? I go, Doing the same stuff I got sent away from the dinner table for doing. It. <laughs> so it's like I would do it regardless. But, uh, and, you know, it's nice to generate income from it. But absolutely, man. Um, and you know what? I think you, know, you and I were talking before. I, I owe so much to my dad, um, such a good father and a, and a brilliant man. And, and he said, um, Do what you love, the money will follow. And. That's, uh, that's what I tried to do.
1: That's really refreshing to hear. You know, it's such a cynical world, and it seems trite. But it's refreshing to hear that. I think more people need to embrace that idea because you really have a choice no matter what.
0: Well, that's it. In fact, um, there's two things. Uh, I always think about that line in the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness. Y- you, cause you, it takes. It's an active participant. You have to be an active participant in your happiness. You have to choose um, to do that. And, and, and that's not always easy. But, you know, at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, that's the choice I want to make. Uh, years ago, it dawned on me, like, I was thinking about worry, the concept of worrying. And I thought to myself, what an insane conceit. Why would I use my infinite imagination to conjure up negative scenarios that may never happen? Why don't I conjure up positive scenarios? <laughs> if it was up to me, man, I'm going to paint the positive picture as opposed to the negative one. So, yeah, maybe it's a little idealistic, but if our if our thoughts and our mind are is indeed the... Um, the uh, the factory where it all takes root and manifests from the ethereal into the material, then I'm going to try to keep that as positive as possible.
1: You told me something that really made me laugh before the interview. Uh, I was asking you about background and how you got into this yeah. this whole crazy entertainment world, and you said stand-up comedy was the girl who bought you.
0: Yeah, she's the girl who brung me. <laughs> <laughs> Expound, please. Okay. Um, well... When I was a young guy living in Washington, D.C., like I said, I was selling radio commercials and jingles, radio commercials and jingles during the day. It was my day gig. And um, my friends at the time, God bless them, man, they said, dude, you're really funny. You should do stand-up. And I was, they hadn't even got on my radar because I i didn't know about that. I didn't grow up with anybody who was into that. So I didn't know anything about it. But I figured, well, okay. I was scared, but I thought, well, let's try I'll just go tell some stories about my life and see if it works. So um, I did. And I started to uh, do some open mics in Washington D Street, the Comedy Cafe on K Street, Charm City in Baltimore. And um, while I was doing stand-up in in the D.C. area, uh, there's a radio station called Wash FM, and they were doing this um, national promotion. HBO had contacted a bunch of local market radio stations and said, we're looking for comedians from around the country who are going to represent these cities and come to this comic relief concert in California, to L.A., and, the, and you had to go and do one minute of comedy. And I went, wow, one minute of comedy. Okay. So I, I prepared my minute and uh, I got on the bus and I train and I went down to this little radio station on a rainy Saturday in Washington, D.C. And I walk in there and I'm expecting there's going to be like an audience and they're going to go to do your minute. And now there's just a sign that says auditions down the steps. So I go down there and there's like a guy in a recording booth and he's like reading the paper and having a cigarette. And, he, and I go, hey, man. He goes, hey, you here for the comedy thing? I'm like, yeah, he goes, all right, yeah, get in the booth. (laughs) Okay. So I get behind the microphone, and I realize, no, there's no audience. There's nothing. There's this guy with a paper and a cigarette and me. (laughs) So luckily, I went back to my training because I did did a lot of radio in college. I was a DJ and a sales manager and stuff. So um, I went back to my radio training, and I said, well, that guy's my audience. I'm talking to one guy, and it's him. And I said, I'm going to make this guy laugh. And I did my minute, and I won. Wow. I was blown away. I won. And the st- radio station calls me and they go, hey man, you know, you, you won and you're going to attend the first comic relief concert in Los Angeles. I was like, wow. But it's nice how like um, everything is connected. Like when I was in that situation, I had to go back to, well, how am I going to make this guy laugh? I go, well, just talk to one person. And then as fate would have it, that ended up being my discipline and protocol for voiceover. I never think I'm talking to quote unquote the masses. I'm talking to a friend going, dude, you got to check out Jimmy Fallon tonight. It's going to be hilarious. Or man, you know who's hosting SNL? Matt Damon. You know, like, or like, you know, uh, Pink is on tonight or something, you know, just, just talking to one person. And so that was such a valuable lesson to learn in college and then bring to stand up. And then obviously out of stand up. And the reason I say it was the gal who brung me, um, stand up was the thing that brought me out to Los Angeles and Los Angeles is where I got into truly being an advertising writer, where I truly got into being a voiceover artist. That's where I got into being a television writer. That's what gave birth to my solo shows. That's what gave birth to my screenwriting career. So it was all stand up. After
1: the break, Steve shares some final thoughts on faith, self-reliance, and the importance of being proactive as an artist, coming up right after this. So how important is it to be proactive with your career development because you don't strike me as a person that would leave that to chance?
0: at all? (laughs) Well, that's a great insight, dude. A great question. Um, I think it's all about, um, as as we always say in my family, faith and action. Keep the faith, know that, honor the dream you have, and then you've got to take action. As we're saying, like the pursuit of happiness, you know, like I've heard many successful people say, you know, if you want to be a famous stand-up comedian, you can develop the greatest set in your living room, but you gotta shoot it and and up upload it or post it or go out and do it. You can't just expect to be discovered that way. You have to take action, and I think it's important. I think you have to um, uh, manifest a dream. You have to have the courage to to take that step, and and that's um, that's what I always try to do. I always and, and my thing is like rejection is is just something that happens. It, it's almost a, a prophecy of the project. If you're not rejected enough, I don't think you're going in the right direction. So um, I like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just talking to a young Italian filmmaker the other day, and, and um, he got rejected, and he was feeling a little low. And, and I pointed out that in my experience, um, I, I call them uh, positive negatives. I said, oh, you had a positive negative today. And what do you mean? I said, well, that person rejected you, so you got one step closer to the person who are, is going to accept you. That person's not holding you down or tying you down or holding you back. They're getting out of your way so you and the project can continue to move forward. I mean, I think about Edison, right, developing the filament in the light bulb, right? And he's working with his crew. And at some point, one of his crew members is really disheartened. And he says, we've tried 200 experiments for this filament and nothing is working. And Edison's response was, "We're, we're 200 ways closer nice wow yeah. you know right god bless the dude he right. was clearly right, clearly right. <laughs> maybe it was 204 but it was the money right?
1: well I've heard that quote uh, fail often and quickly <laughs> yeah. you know Amen, man. as Absolutely. fast as you can fail because you'll get to success so much quicker uh, yeah than trying to keep the brakes on and you know being a perfectionist which you really, oh, yeah. you really don't get a lot of work done being a perfectionist.
0: No, I vote for authenticity over perfection. And also knowing that chance and divine providence are going to play a huge role anyway, I figure what I can do is do my part by continue to churn the ethers, continue to create, make the phone call, shoot the text, post the video. You meet somebody who's interesting and they go, hey, I'm doing this thing. Um, great, let me help out. Take the action, keep the vision. And I often tell my son, I said, wear transparent blinders. Meaning, blinders like a racehorse, right? You, you don't want to lose focus of what you're going for, but don't lose focus of the peripheral because here comes a new person. Here comes a new idea. Here comes something you hadn't expected that is very likely going to feed the vision and propel the, the momentum of the project. Which to me, is that's chance. That's divine providence. Right. And, and what I've experienced countless times, and again, that's where the faith thing comes in, hmm. I'll be in the middle of a project, and we're getting rejected, and maybe the failures aren't as quickly as we were hoping. Um, and, but by saying yes, by staying open, things get introduced. And by continuing to churn the ethers, as I say, which is really just another way to say continue to take the action, whatever that looks like. We always say the next indicated step. What's the next indicated step? You know, like um, if we get turned down by an actor who we thought we had and we're ready to go, they fall away. Okay, who's next? Who, who else do we like? Let's just take the next indicated step. And when I do that, I feel divine providence, chance, whatever you want to call it, the, the various positive forces in the universe, I feel they conspire on my behalf and they join me. They don't come knocking on my door going, hey, man, you ready? <laughs> they, they meet me mid-jaw going, hey, how are you? How's it going? <laughs> right. Need some help? Yeah, thank you. that would be great.
1: You create the momentum and then that energy will follow that momentum.
0: Yes, Yeah, I think it's up to us.
1: Steve Mackle, it's
0: been a real pleasure. Uh, Chris, what a treat. What an honor. Thank you for having me over. Thanks so much. Thanks, man.
1: This has been The Art of Life. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Chris Alford. Be safe and be well.